Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Getting back to Steph Curry, I'm going to challenge you again. Immortal status. The greatest shooter in the history of basketball. I agree. We know who's that. Who's a two-time right. league MVP and a three-time champion. Well, let me ask you. And you're telling you're me he him. has something to prove? Where are you putting him all the time then? You're going to make him a top 10 player? He's not a top 10 player. Where are you, you putting him all the time? I, you know what? I got to think about that. I think he could be. No, he's I not. He I think he are could be. Are you kidding yes, me? I yes, I Top do. 10. Yes, I do. All right, that's become now must-see television. Stephen A. Smith yelling at Mad Dog Russo. I agree with Mad Dog, by the way. Steph Curry. I love Steph Curry. Stephen A. Smith had the weakest argument. He just keeps mentioning that he's the greatest shooter of all time. Okay, that doesn't (laughs) Stevie. That doesn't mean that. And he calls him Steve all the time too, which is kind of funny because you never hear anybody call Stephen A. Smith Steve, and it's kind of funny to hear Mad Dog do it. But just because he's the greatest shooter of all time, that doesn't mean he's a top ten player in NBA history. Prior to Steph Curry being the greatest shooter of all time, who was it? Ray Allen. Then it was, before that, it was Reggie Miller. That doesn't mean you're the greatest or in the top 10 of all time. Larry Bird. Larry Bird, yeah. Larry Bird. By the way, that ESPN, they did a list a couple of weeks ago. They had Bird at 7th, and they had Bill Russell at 6th. Larry Bird. I feel like if you look at it, too, like in recent history, Tim Duncan has got to be ahead of Steph Curry on that list as well. And obviously, you go back to the Kareems, the Magics, the Larry Birds, the Michael Jordans. LeBron from his own era. Like, there's no way Steph Curry is a top 10 player in NBA history. And I love the guy. Two-time MVP, all that. Most threes ever in a season. But there's no way he's a top 10 player in the league. It's amazing what happens on those shows when you let them actually explain their rationale. Because he went into it. He was like, look, amazing shooter. All-time great. Tell me he's in the top 10. You just, you can't really. There's been so many guys in that top 10 locked in for so long. And yeah, he's an, he's an amazing shooter. But all-around player, I mean... Probably probably one of the top two or three point guards of all time, but because of the defense, there's there's question marks. Yeah, and if you look at it, too, he's probably somewhere in that 50 to 25 range is where Steph Curry. And look, now he has an opportunity to rise higher. Like, if he leads this team to a championship this year, I do think that it bumps him up a little bit in terms of the all-time list, but he's clearly not in the top 10 right now. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you. Up until midnight. And I just want to look at this getting ahead into the playoffs. So the Bucks beat the Heat tonight, 120-119. to 119, And those teams are both incredibly tough from a physical perspective. Now, the Bucks' defense has not been the same that it was a year ago. A lot of that has to do with Brooke Lopez. The rim protection has not been the same from a statistical perspective. And you look at them, they're right now 13th in the NBA in defense. They have not been the same defensive team without Brooke Lopez in the lineup. And then 
you look at the Miami Heat, they've been consistent pretty much all season long, even though they haven't had Bam and Lowry and Jimmy Butler in the lineup a lot of these times at the same time. But when you look across the Eastern Conference in general, this is the deepest I can remember the conference being. Because you look, the West used to be this way, right? And it feels like the East is now the power conference. Now, maybe Phoenix ends up being the best team in the NBA this season. We'll see when Chris Paul comes back because he's missing a significant chunk of time now with that thumb injury. But think about the depth of this conference. Miami at the top, Chicago, Philly after the trade, which is amazing to me. And Harden had his home debut in Philly tonight. It's amazing that he's in shape all of a sudden. He legitimately looks leaner than he did just two weeks ago with Brooklyn. I mean, that guy is an all-time ass. I mean, really, think about, I understand that he wanted to get to certain places, but the way that he's gone about it, I mean, that's a character flaw. Think about the thing in Houston. The guy basically ate his way out of town. And <laughs> remember, when John, remember when he threw a pass to John Wall? You can YouTube this. He threw a pass to John Wall just behind him. And John Wall's like, what the hell? And then he had this situation in Houston where, you know, like when a guy lets the ball roll up so the clock doesn't start, he let it go all the way past him. He let it go past him, and a guy on the other team stole it. Like, that's how much he was checked out in Houston. And then this situation that he just had in Brooklyn, he did everything to get out of Houston so he could get to Brooklyn. And then less than a year later, he's doing the same thing to Brooklyn. He wasn't showing up until halftime in a game against Utah. He came from Vegas. The guy just didn't show up to the arena. He wasn't with the team. He's in Vegas hanging out by himself. And then he's got this, oh, my God, he's got this hamstring injury. All of a sudden, he gets to Philly. I know he rested for a couple of games, but I truly believe that was to get himself back into shape because he was eating way too much when he decided he wasn't going to play for. He's partying. But when the trade happened, he's in Houston. He's partying in Houston. I know he's got a jersey hung up at a strip club there. But anyway, Philadelphia now, they're playing really well offensively with Embiid and Harden. I do have questions about that team when they get into the postseason defensively. And the other thing I'll say real quickly about those, about that pairing, you have the worst playoff choker of this generation to go along with the worst playoff choker as a coach in this generation. And that's really with Doc Rivers. It's really one of the most amazing things with the 2008 Celtics that they were that dominant. Now, not when they got into the postseason. That's when Doc's coaching was exposed. But in terms of the regular season, they won, what, 66 games with Doc Rivers, all-time horrible playoff coach. Doc Rivers has had, has coached six teams that have blown 3-1 or 3-2 series leads. He has blown three 3-1 series leads, the most in NBA history. So what could go wrong when you pair up the biggest choke artist as a coach in playoff history with the biggest playoff choker as a player in James Harden? I can't see anything going wrong with them. And you also got to wonder about the character with Harden. Like, when things get tough with him, uh, there's a honeymoon period. But after that, it can get ugly with James Harden. So I do wonder, too, because Harden is such a dog defensively where he always has to play in a switching style because he will not get over a screen. He just won't do it. He refuses to do it. And with Joel Embiid, you got to play that drop coverage because you're not going to switch with Embiid. So it's going to be... A weird situation, I believe, when they get into the postseason defensively. They are unbelievable offensively. They've already shown it. And Maxie's been incredible with that group as well. And now, basically, Tobias Harris is making $30 million a season, and he's in the corner shooting threes. You got a spot-up shooter making $30 million. The contract, obviously, is horrible. But, I mean, <laughs> your fourth-best player is Tobias Harris. Offensively, that's going to be a juggernaut. I just wonder what happens defensively. Then you got Milwaukee at fourth, Cleveland at fifth. The Celtics right now at six. 
Toronto 7th, Brooklyn 8th, Charlotte 9th. They've been a dumpster fire. And Atlanta, who we saw last night. That team cannot beat the Celtics in a postseason series. I'm sorry. Trey Young is just way too much of a liability defensively. And we saw when the Celtics turned it on last night, he couldn't do anything from an offensive perspective. But the coaches, if you look at it, that scare me is Eric Spolster, of course, because he completely outcoached Brad a couple of years ago in that postseason. I don't know how many times they're going to run the same damn play and Brad can't make a freaking adjustment. It's a simple pick and roll. And then offensively, the Celtics couldn't do anything when the Heat went to the zone. So Spolster will switch things up. And that team is scary because you have a bunch of guys. Now, Jimmy Butler has been absolutely atrocious in clutch time. Worse than Tatum. He's been horrible in clutch time, meaning the final five minutes of the game with the score within five points. Now, Tyler Hero has been really good in those situations. But obviously, Butler is getting the best matchup from the opposition but Eric Spolstra scares me in a postseason series the Bulls man they are pretenders to me and look I know that they've been dealing with a lot of injuries and they have DeMar DeRozan who's in the MVP conversation and he's been one of the most clutch players in the NBA in fact the best clutch player performer in the NBA this season the problem is he's an all-time playoff I don't want to say choke artist because he doesn't even get himself into that position he's a non-performer 21 points a game in the postseason, shoots about 41%. He's never been a great postseason player. And I do wonder, like, he's getting to his spots in the regular season. What happens when, like we've seen when he was with the Raptors, when you put a bigger defender on him in the postseason, he can't do anything. So I wonder if that situation plays itself out again. And Chicago is an absolutely atrocious defensive team. They are 20th in the NBA in defense, which is obviously a major concern when you get into the postseason. I believe the Celtics would win that series. Now, this is all contingent on health and in particular James Hart uh, excuse me Jalen Brown being healthy and Robert Williams those are the two guys and Marcus Smart's an injury risk as well those three guys and the Celtics are really thin if they lose any of those guys they're screwed but Cleveland I don't worry about them if the Celtics got matched up with them because I look at Cleveland they do not have a wing defender I guess Isaac Okoro would be the best example of that but you really think Tatum and Brown are going to struggle with that guy so I wonder about that and also with Cleveland They've played really well defensively, but I really think that's a situation where you don't usually see a team that's that big. And then once you get into the postseason, you get time to scout them and all that. You kind of get used to playing against a team like that. But if you look at Cleveland in terms of where their offense is at this year, 19th in the NBA, it hasn't been particularly good. Basically, without Garland, they suck offensively. They can't generate any offense. I know they traded for Levert, but that guy's always hurt as well. So I, I wouldn't be, I would love a Cleveland matchup. In terms of the postseason, the other coach that scares me is Nick Nurse because we saw Nick Nurse somehow get that Raptors team to seven games against the Celtics a couple of years ago when they had just lost Kawhi Leonard. So they do a lot of good stuff in terms of taking advantage of things you can do in the regular season. They're up there in fast break points. They're up there in offensive rebounding. And that sort of stuff that it's tougher to do that in the postseason when teams are bringing the max effort each and every night. That's why, like, when I look at this matchup tomorrow night against Memphis, but anyway, just to put a synopsis on this, to put a bow on the Eastern Conference thing, here's the teams that I would like to Celtics play in the first round. Cleveland, Charlotte, if Charlotte gets in, although I don't see them getting in. Atlanta, any of those teams I would like. I would like the Bulls. Teams I would not like to see in the first round. Miami, Philly, Milwaukee. Those teams, I don't want, and the Nets, they're such a wild card. Who the hell knows? But I don't want to see Miami or Milwaukee in the first round. As of right now, the Celtics would play the Sixers. So I wonder, too, like, because the Eastern Conference, there's so many good teams, 
I feel like the final week of the season, there could be some real shenanigans going on in terms of maneuvering where you're at at the schedule. Because nobody would want to be the two seed, right? Because if you're the two seed, in all likelihood, Brooklyn's going to get that with Durant, with Kyrie and Simmons. Like, let's go with the assumption they're all playing. If you're the Bulls, you want to play them in the first round, you're going to lose to them, right? So there's going to be a lot of maneuvering when it comes to that. And, like, with Milwaukee, that's a team that they don't fear going on the road. They're just going to look for the best possible road to get into the road in terms of their playoff picture to get into the back to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'm really interested to see how they handle this down the stretch of the season. But one other thing I want to mention, just getting into tomorrow night's game briefly against the Grizzlies. Last night, we can all agree the Celtics didn't show up till the second half, and it was good enough to beat that Atlanta team because the Celtics just turned it on defensively. You can't do that tomorrow against Memphis. Now, Memphis, I wonder about their playoff situation because they do a lot of stuff that you can't duplicate in the playoffs. But this is why the Celtics have got to come out fast tomorrow and bring that effort defensively that disappeared for six quarters going back to the Pacers game, and all of a sudden in the third quarter it showed up. If you look at this Memphis team, they're averaging 14 offensive rebounds per game, most in the NBA. They're, they have a 30.2 offensive rebounding percentage, first in the NBA. Toronto's second at 27.9. So they're more than 2% better than the team's second in that category. So they get on the boards, and Steven Adams, by the way, 4.6 offensive rebounds per game, first in the league. Robert Williams, if you're wondering, is second. He's at 4.0. So they get after the offensive glass, and they score in transition 16.8 fast break points per game that's first in the nba a full point better than charlotte at two and if you look at it they spend 18.7 percent of their possessions in transition that's the third highest rate in the league 23.9 points in transition that's third in the league so they score in transition they get out on the break and they crash the boards here's the thing though if you keep them in the half court they struggle if you look at them on the season And by the way, don't turn the ball over against Memphis because they average 1.32 points per possession in after turnovers. That's fourth in the league. But in the half court, not good. 23rd in the NBA, I should say, in half court efficiency. A 92.3 rating. So they suck if you actually slow them down, don't let them get out on the break, and don't turn the ball over. They're not good in the half court. So the Celtics have got to figure out a way to bring that maximum effort early in the game like we saw in the third quarter yesterday. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. If you do want to weigh in on the Cs, certainly welcome to do so. Who do you want to see them match up against in the first round, and how do you feel about going up against Memphis tomorrow night without Jalen Brown? That's on the table. But coming up next, I do want to get into the Patriots. And a team I think the Pats should build their offense similar to. We'll get to that next here on EEI. The home for Sox fans. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. All right, trending now on WEEI and WEEI.com. Well, the Seas will be without Jalen Brown Thursday night when they host John Morant and the Grizzlies. Brown, of course, dealing with that right ankle sprain that he suffered in the Greens. 107-98 win over the Hawks on Tuesday night. Elsewhere, ESPN reporting Kevin Durant expected to return Thursday night when the Nets host the Heat. Durant has been out for six weeks with a sprained MCL. Brooklyn went just 5-16 and 16 with Durant out of the lineup. We'll see when Ben Simmons makes his Brooklyn debut. The Bees remain out west for a date with the Vegas Golden Knights on Thursday. The Black and Gold coming off that 4-3 loss to the Ducks on Tuesday night. Dolphins general manager Chris Greer was asked if Miami was after Deshaun Watson. Greer responded, quote, the door is shut on Deshaun. We'll see about that. 
Tim Graham of The Athletic reports the Bills have interest in signing Rob Gronkowski if Gronk wants to keep playing. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Surprised if he did eventually decide to come back? Yeah, because of the reasons he retired. Do you find it odd at all that he hasn't really firmly slammed oh, he, the door shut? He slammed it shut when I talked to him. So <laughs> I like. It. I think like a lot of these guys, and he likes to have his name out there. All right, so that was Bruce Arians talking about Tom Brady. I mean, what an ass clown. I, I don't disagree with what Bruce Arians is saying. I believe Tom Brady wants to stay relevant. That's why he never actually used the R word when he was talking about retirement. I do feel like he's in a weird position right now. He was doing a show last night, Sirius XM show, with Freddie Couples talking about his retirement. Tom's talking about it like it feels like... He's really struggling in retirement. He's trying to make a plan, like, what he's doing each and every day. And I know he's got this movie that he's uh, about to make that's coming up in a little while here. Like, so he's got some projects down the line. But you heard Bruce Arians in terms of saying, essentially, that Tom's in a position where he wants to stay relevant. I just don't understand why Bruce Arians would say that. Basically, the guy altered your career. Bruce Arians was a good coach in Arizona. He was the coach of the year. I get it. He made it to an NFC championship game. But Brady put a ring on your finger. And when you turn the team over to Tom, after, remember, infamously, that Thursday night game against the Chicago Bears, where Tom's holding up the four fingers like he thought it was fourth down, after that, Tom took over the offense. And you jumped on Tom's back and he won a Super Bowl. Basically, everything Bruce Arians said during that time wasn't true. Remember, he said they would never sign Antonio Brown. Well, Tom wanted Antonio Brown. They signed Antonio Brown. So maybe that's what this is. This is just like Bruce Arians is pissed and he's acting out. So he's taking shots at Brady, who essentially brought him a Super Bowl ring. Because every time Bruce Arians said something, the opposite ended up happening. I really don't know what the hell that guy did. I really don't. I don't understand what he did whatsoever. Like, obviously, Todd Bowles had a role. That defense was incredible. It's the real reason they won the Super Bowl. Like, once they got into the playoffs last year... It was obviously more about their defense than it was about their offense. 
And you saw what happened to Pat Mahomes in that Super Bowl where they just completely destroyed him. Now, I would say this, like Andy Reid, you can make an adjustment. Like maybe chip some of those guys instead of just with all your linemen being out, sticking with the traditional five-man scheme up front in terms of the five linemen not giving any help because clearly they were getting to the quarterback at will in that particular game. Like you should have made some adjustments there, but that was about the defense. I would say from a schematic perspective, Todd Bowles had more of an influence on that team last year than Bruce Arians did. Tom Brady and Todd Bowles both did. So I just don't understand like what the benefit is of Bruce Arians saying Tom just wants his name to be out there. Show a little bit of gratitude for the guy that basically put a Super Bowl ring on your finger. I do wonder what Tampa does now because they're in a strange position. Apparently, they've been kicking the tires on all like these big-name quarterbacks that are out there whether it be Russell Wilson, we'll see what happens with this whole situation with Deshaun Watson. Nobody really knows what's going to happen there. So maybe they get themselves into the big game market and try to go big game fishing again. I mean, that's what has been the reporting. And I understand why. I mean, it's a team that just won a Super Bowl two years ago. Might as well try to keep winning now. What are you going to do? Just tear it all down and rebuild it? Now, they're going to lose a lot of pieces. And that's why I contend that that's why Brady left. Now, I understand like everybody that talks about the family situation with Tom, because he made this promise to Giselle or whatever, and I know Giselle after that Super Bowl game is out there saying, hey, what else do you have left to prove? But the reality is this. Do you think if Tom really thought that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a Super Bowl team next year that he would have retired? Absolutely not. I think it's more about football than anything else. If Tom's going to continue to play, he wants a chance to win a Super Bowl. And I think he looked at that roster and said, well, Ryan Jansen's going to get paid in free agency. In terms of the center position, he's going to get a big contract. Chris Godwin coming off the torn ACL, he's going to get a big payday. JPP is pretty much done. We'll see what happens with Gronk next season as well. And the whole Antonio Brown situation. So I think what Tom looked at was a team that was very similar to what we saw a couple of years ago with the 19 Patriots. And that's why he decided to retire more so than anything else. That's why this whole idea of him coming back, it does make sense. If there's a team that can win a Super Bowl, all right, maybe Tom joins it. But the other thing I'd say to that, it would be a bad look. If it's like, ah, yeah, I made a super team in Tampa, and then when they weren't good enough to win anymore, I went to a different super team. Like, if he ended up in San Francisco, I understand it's his, t- it's his hometown and all that. But really? So you're going to go to a better roster in San Francisco to try to win a Super Bowl there? That's very LeBron James-ish. So LeBron goes to Miami. And we sort of understood it. If he didn't do the decision, it would have made it a lot more palatable. But that Cleveland franchise was a dumpster fire. LeBron needed to go somewhere where he could win. I feel like the bigger issue that people had with that is the way that it went down. The decision, one of the worst TV shows of all time with Jim Gray. I mean, there's been a documentary made about how bad the decision was. But anyway, so he goes there. He wins two championships. He plays in four finals. All right, so he went to his super team. Then what happens? This whole idea, oh, LeBron's going home. He wants to go back to Cleveland. Yeah, he wanted to go back to Cleveland because he saw a better version of Dwayne Wade at the time in Kyrie Irving. Not to say they're identical players, and obviously Dwayne Wade at his peak is much better than Kyrie, but Dwayne Wade was dealing with two awful knees at that point in time. He was never the same player after, what, his second season with LeBron, after their first championship together. He was never reliable, not on the court. So LeBron saw Kyrie, and he said, okay, this is a better chance to win a championship. That's what Tom Brady would be doing. It'd be the NBA ver- or it'd be the NFL version of what LeBron did in the NFL in the NBA. So I feel like it'd be an awful look, look if Tom did that. But I did want to get to the Patriots. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So 
I do feel like there's a team that the Patriots, from an offensive perspective, should look at as an example of how you build things around Mac. Because I don't know about you, but I've come to the realization that Mac is just somebody that's going to be uber-dependent on the people around him. And you look at it, it's not as if he has any incredible trait that's going to make him a superstar or anything along those lines. He's not a super athlete. He doesn't have a super arm. He doesn't throw the ball well on the run. He doesn't have great size. I mean, if you look at it, in his, if you look at his combine measurements, he was in the 43rd percentile in height, 6'2 and 5'8", 32nd percentile in weight, 217. And when we see these elite quarterbacks, unless, like, if you look at, for example, look at Herbert, 95th percentile in height, 90th percentile in weight, 236, 6'6". How about Trevor Lawrence, 93rd percentile in height, 6'5 and 5'8". If you look at Josh Allen, 88th percentile in height, 6'4 and 7'8". So the reason, and 92nd percentile in weight, Josh Allen was 237 coming out of the collegiate level. And the reason I bring that up is, okay, so if you don't have the measurements in terms of what Josh Allen and Herbert have, and they both have elite skills, right? I mean, Herbert, you could argue, has the best arm in the league. And Allen has an absolute hose as well, not to mention the fact that he can run you over. All right, well, if you're going to succeed and you don't have those special traits in terms of the measurements, well, you got to do something else, right? So, for example, Lamar, he's just 40th in terms of 40th percentile in terms of height, 6'2 and 1 4th, 29th percentile coming out in weight at 216. But he's an elite athlete. You make a whole offense around his ability to run the football. Deshaun Watson, 30th percentile in height, 6'2", 45th percentile in weight, 221. But he's an elite athlete, and he's mobile, he can throw on the run. Matt can't do any of those things. Pat Mahomes, 6'2", 30th percentile, but he weighed 225 pounds, 61st percentile, but he has one of the best arms we've seen in NFL history, right? He can throw from all those crazy arm slots. So with Mac, he doesn't have the measurables, the height or the weight, and he doesn't have that elite skill, which brings me to Jimmy Garoppolo. And if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, and even like Matt Ryan, who people compare Mac Jones to, he was in the 88th percentile in height, and he was in the 72nd percentile in weight. Mac Jones is not close to that whatsoever. Wait, say that one more time? Matt Ryan? Yeah. When he was coming out of the collegiate level, 88th percentile in height, 72nd percentile in weight. Interesting. I was I was very curious about how these things might kind of play out, and I, so I looked up Jameis. And Jameis was in the 74th percentile in height, 80th percentile in weight. He's not that far off from Matt Ryan. Well, how much did Jameis weigh? Uh, when he came out of college. I'm he, guessing 235. He was listed at 6'4", six, six, 231. 231, I think okay. he's a little bit over that now. Yeah, Ryan's at 228. So my biggest point being here is he doesn't even have, like, the Matt Ryan because <laughs> Jameis Winston, although Jameis Winston was a little doughy coming out of the collegiate just, level. Just a little. The, Still is crab legs. Although, have you seen his rehab videos? He looks pretty good. I just like that every time I see him working hard, he's got a smile on his face now. Yeah. Like, he, he's just taking the role. He's, he's just battling back. My prediction there is Steelers. I think the Steelers are the fit for Jameis. They need a veteran quarterback. Makes sense to go after a guy like Jameis. But anyway, with Mac. If you look at a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, okay, similar measurements. Now, Jimmy did have a really quick release, which obviously Mac doesn't have right now. But Jimmy Garoppolo comes out of the collegiate level, and he's 6'2". So Jimmy Garoppolo is really small. He was 30th percentile in height, 6'2", 67th percentile in weight, 226. 
Jimmy Garoppolo, much like Mac, didn't have an elite trait like Deshaun Watson or a guy like Kyler Murray who's in the zero percentile in terms of height. He was the smallest quarterback ever, 5'10 and an inch, uh, 5'10 and a fourth. So the guy's absolutely diminutive in stature. But like Lamar had that special skill to run. Mac Jones doesn't have any of that, much like Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I would argue that Jimmy had that incredible release coming out of the collegiate level, but he wasn't very polished, of course, coming from Eastern Illinois. It was going to take time for them to work with him, et cetera. But anyway, so if you look at the way that San Francisco has built their team, that's what I would look at if I was the Patriots in terms of how to build the skilled position players around Mac. So if you look at Mac last year, next-gen chats uh, charts all this stuff, he was 11th in expected completion percentage. So this isn't on Mac. This is about essentially like what's drawn up for him. So above average, but not great. Jimmy was seventh in expected completion percentage. So that means the throws were a lot easier for Jimmy than they were Mac. And if you look at Jimmy last year, EPA, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically just an efficiency stat, pretty much expected points added. Mac was 11th. Jimmy was fourth. And again, I don't believe this is because Jimmy Garoppolo is significantly better than Mac. I believe it's more so about the scheme that Kyle Shanahan runs and the players around him. So if you look at it, Mac Jones was averaging 8.1 intended air yards per attempt. That was 10th at the NFL. The quarterbacks in front of him, guys like Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, some guys with some big arms, Allen, Stafford, etc. Jimmy was at 7.4, so significantly lower than Mac. Mac was 12th in the NFL on time to throw 2.71. Garoppolo was 7th at 2.67. So Jimmy was getting the ball out quicker. Jimmy's expected completion percentage was higher, and his intended air yards were lower. Okay, so basically what they did there in San Francisco is they tried to build a system that was quarterback-proof and get the ball into Jimmy's hands quick. So essentially the role of Jimmy is – the point guard, just distribute it, get the ball out quick. And that's what I feel like the Patriots should be doing with Mac Jones is get the ball out of his hands quickly. Now, I know Mac was trying to do that last year. It's not all his fault. Partially, it has to do with the skill position players. So that brings me to this. If you look at, for example, the 49ers last year, they were eighth in yak yards, 33, uh, 133 per game in terms of yards after the catch. The Patriots were 13th at 116, so significantly lower than the 49ers. The Niners had two players in the NFL that were top 10 or top 15, rather, in yak yards, Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Debo Samuel second in the NFL in terms of yak yards, and he was first in targets, and he was actually number one in the NFL in yak per reception at 10.4. 10.4 yak yards per reception. So every time he touched the, the ball, he was essentially picking up a first down. George Kittle was 15th at 450 yak yards, 6.7 yak per reception, which was 12th. He was targeted 94 times. Debo targeted 191 times. Kittle targeted 94 times in his 14 games. And, oh, by the way, you had the Patriots, who their leading receiver was Jacoby Myers. He was targeted 126 times. He averaged three yak yards per reception which was 117th out of 127 players. So Debo Samuel, who's targeted 191 times, he has 768 yak yards, 10.4 per reception. So you are throwing the ball to Debo Samuel like crazy, right? And he's picking up that extra yardage because that's what he is. He's a playmaker. Well, Jacoby Myers, uh, this is not an indictment on Jacoby Myers. All I'm saying is he's not this elite playmaker after he gets the ball in his hands. He's going to pick up... Essentially nothing after the catch. Three yak yards per reception. 
So that brings me to Kendrick Bourne, who I've said multiple times needs to be utilized more. He was 35th, uh, 34th rather in the league in yak yards, and he was 7th in yak per reception at 7.1, yet he was targeted only 70 times. So when you look at the Patriots' offense going forward, First and foremost, you need to involve Kendrick Bourne more because he's much better when he has the ball in his hands if you juxtapose that to what Jacoby Myers did. And that brings me to why, again, it makes total sense to go after Godwin. Godwin last year, 127 targets in 14 games. 586 yak yards. That was six in the NFL. And remember, he was at 586 and he missed three games or missed two games rather no three games right yeah he missed three games so he was at 586 yak yards and by the way he had to leave one of those games to the torn acl he was at 6.3 yak per reception which was 16th in the nfl and he was targeted nine times a game that was ninth in the nfl so on a per game basis you saw the production from godwin so if i have a quarterback like mac jones who doesn't have special traits who is not going to be involved in the run game whatsoever. And he doesn't have a big arm. Like, Mac Jones isn't going to be like Joe Burrow. Not to say Burrow has a cannon for an arm, but one of the things that Joe Burrow will do, he'll throw it into tight windows. He threw into tight windows over 21% of the time last year. Because he's willing, he is the gunslinger a la Brett Favre, a la Matthew Stafford back when he was in Detroit, really, in his early years. He's willing to throw it up and take risks. That's not really the type of quarterback that Mac is, right? And Mac isn't really a downhill, down-the-field thrower like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, I mean, the dude throws bombs. But you get the point. So he's not a super aggressive quarterback, Mac Jones. He's not somebody that's going to beat you with his mobility. So what you have to do is you have to take advantage of his skill set. And his skill set is a guy, I give him credit for this, he's a good decision maker. He... If these guys are open, he can make quick decisions. But you have to set this up. When you have a quarterback that's limited from a talent perspective, you have to put exceptionally talented players around him. Like, if you look at the team that Jimmy Garoppolo was playing with, they had all of it. They had an elite running game because of Kyle Shanahan in the scheme. They had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. In fact, if you look at pro football focus, they rank every player in the NFL. Trent Williams came out as the number one player in the entire league last year, no matter what the position was. Now, obviously, there's importance to the quarterback compared to the left tackle, but you get the point. That's how good Trent Williams was last year. But San Francisco basically did everything they possibly could to get the best out of Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, you could argue it still wasn't good enough. I mean, that certainly is the case. But I would also say that the coach, who is a really good offensive schemer and all that, like really good play caller, he doesn't really have balls as an in-game coach, as a game manager, so to speak. Them not going for that fourth and two against the Rams was disgraceful. They got two chances to do it, and they still didn't do it. I mean, if you remember, fourth and two, they're at what? I believe it was the 48-yard line of the Rams. So the play before, they try to pick up the first down by trying to catch the Rams from what they did a week prior. Remember that play they ran against the Packers where Trent Williams was basically lined up in the backfield and he was the lead blocker? They essentially tried to do that against the Rams, but... It was to throw them off, and they just basically do a fullback dive with check. So they do that. They don't really gain any yards, so it's fourth and two, but Sean McVay challenges the play inexplicably. So they go to challenge the play, and obviously it's ruled that it wasn't a fumble because clearly it wasn't a fumble. So then what happens is you have this situation where Kyle Shanahan now catches a break because 
because you had the stoppage in play, that means that Trent Williams can go back to left tackle. Because ordinarily, if you didn't have that stoppage in play, a, an eligible receiver can't go to be an ineligible receiver in back-to-back plays unless there's a stoppage. So you even get your best player back at left tackle. If you're the San Francisco 49ers, what does Shanahan do? He still punts. But anyway, so that was my point about Shanahan. The guy had no balls in that game whatsoever. It's fourth and two. You're supposed to be the best play caller in the NFL. You're supposed to have this elite running game. You have all these weapons offensively, and you don't go for it. I mean, that was just, that was soft from my perspective. But anyway, the point being is they tried to do everything they possibly could to scheme things up around Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm not saying that you have to have the exact scheme as the San Francisco 49ers have had with Kyle Shannon, although I wouldn't hate taking some elements around it. It's been a really successful offense with Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback who isn't exceptionally talented. But that's what you have to do if you don't have one of these uber-talented guys like Aaron Rodgers, right? Like Tom uh, Tom Brady, where he's got to at this particular point in time. Like Josh Allen, who, and they scheme it up for Josh Allen as well. I mean, he's first in the NFL in play-action pass attempts. He's second in the NFL in RPO. So they scheme it up around his skill set. But especially when you don't have a guy that has that superpower from the quarterback position in terms of, an unbelievable weapon. Like, Lamar Jackson has a special weapon. He has the ability to run all over you. Mac Jones doesn't have anything where you say, okay, that's a number one trait. That's something that is putting you over the top as a quarterback. Mac doesn't have that. So that means it's not the – like, you can win with this type of quarterback. We saw when Matt Ryan had a perfect scheme around him with Kyle Shannon, and he had Julio Jones – And that particular year, they were really scheming up Taylor Gabriel down the field. They had one of the best running games in the NFL with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman that season. You can scheme it up for a player like Matt Ryan. But the problem for the Patriots now is you need to put the proper pieces around Mac. And that means guys that are yak monsters. You need yards after the catch, guys. You need guys that can create after they have the ball in their hands because Mac's not going to be able to do it by himself like some of these other elite quarterbacks around the league are. And the other thing about Mac, much like Jimmy, he needs to play on schedule, right? You can't have Mac Jones improvising in the pocket because he doesn't have the athletic ability to do so. Even a guy like Joe Burrow, who is not a super athlete in the NFL, he has escapability. Mac doesn't have that. All right, 617-779-7937 is a number. Brian Barrett with you. Up until midnight. Oh, I do want to get to one note that should make you feel positive as a Patriots fan. We'll do that next here on EI. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, 
we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, so Mike Giardi from the NFL Network put this out today via Twitter. Talked to several NFL coaches slash execs about the makeup of Belichick's coaching staff. Made sure they weren't FOBs. You know what that is, Matt? I I have a couple of guesses. I don't think I should say them on air. Friends of Bill. Oh, okay. FOBs, friends of Bill. To a man, there is a high regard for Nick Haley. My understanding is that the Patriots still haven't officially finalized coaching roles for 2022-2023. So here we go. This does come back to the Andy Hart theory that the Patriots are very high on Nick Haley, hence why Mick Lombardi is no longer part of the equation. Now, obviously, Mick Lombardi goes into a higher tax bracket, if you will, by becoming the offensive coordinator for Josh McDaniels with the Raiders, although he's not calling plays. Obviously, Josh is going to do that. But he could have also seen that, well, I'm in back at Haley. So I'm never going to get to the de facto play caller or the offensive coordinator into the future because Kaylee's in front of me in terms of the pecking order. So it would make a lot more sense if this has been the plan the whole time. Because obviously bringing in Joe Judge and having Matt Patricia coach the offensive line doesn't really have you very inspired as a Patriots fan. But if they do feel like they have the next great coordinator on the staff in Nick Kaylee, well, this whole off-season off plan makes a lot more sense. Because remember, we're all going nuts when Joe Judge is coming back and he's going to be working with the quarterbacks and all this. But if they feel like they have a guy that can be the play caller of the future in Nick Cayley, we may have been panicking over nothing. Now, who, Cayley still has to prove he can do the job. I mean, clearly. But that may have been the play the whole time or the plan rather the whole time. And maybe we jumped the gun on overreacting to Joe Judge coming in here and running the offense because clearly it doesn't feel like at this particular point in time that that's going to be the role for Judge. And, in fact, Mike Giardi last week was on with Andy Hart and Fitzy, and he said that he expects that Kaylee's going to be the de facto play caller. So I think we can at least be a little bit more optimistic because nobody wanted Joe Judge calling plays. There's still an unknown with Nick Haley, but I would also argue there was an unknown with Josh McDaniels before he was a play caller, and most people ended up liking him. All right, I did want to get to this, though. I found this interesting. So we all know that the Fenway Sports Group bought the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have Liverpool. Well, apparently, this is from Bill Simmons' podcast. They may be going after another team. I have some intel. Okay. I think think the league is going to expand to Vegas and to Seattle. And I think the leading contender to get that Vegas team is going to be the Fenway sports group that, you know, that they have Liverpool, they've bought the penguins. They've been circling different NBA teams for a while. I think they looked at Minnesota and I think they're the leading contender to Vegas. And 
if I had to bet on a LeBron scenario, it would be for him to be involved with whatever happens with that, where he is the point man of that Vegas team. Okay, so that's interesting. We already know that LeBron James, minor ownership stake, whatever it is in the Red Sox, what's it like, 0.001%, whatever his stake is in the Red Sox? I may be over-exaggerating that. Maybe it's, it's low. I'm, they, they call him a minority owner, so I think it has to be under what is the threshold for minority owner, 5%, something yeah. like that. So we know that he's involved with John Henry and business ventures. But this could be the new threshold for LeBron James's to be a player owner, if you will. Because remember, Jordan did it when they gave him a stake in the Washington Wizards, and then he went to the Charlotte Hornets. And it does feel like, from a talent perspective, if you look around the NBA right now, there is enough talent to expand if they really wanted to. I just wonder if Vegas is going to be the place. Because remember, there was the whole issue with the All-Star game there. It was just a mess after all the parties that they had in Vegas. Not to say that other cities it doesn't happen, but apparently it was really bad when it went there, but this may be LeBron James's way. Now, we don't know exactly when the expansion, if it happens. Now, Bill Simmons obviously dialed into the NBA. We don't know exactly when it would happen, but this could be LeBron James's way to get his kid on his team because I do find it incredibly interesting that LeBron James spent all of All-Star Weekend talking about playing with his son and talking about giving Les Snead credit and giving Sam Presti credit, all these different guys across not only the NBA, but the NFL as well, and kept mentioning that it's always been a goal of his to play with his son. And one thing that sticks out to me about that is, is his son good enough? His son by ESPN is like the 38th-ranked recruit by 24-7 sports. I believe it was the 34th-ranked recruit. So there's no given that he's an NBA player. But guess what? If you own an NBA team, you can do whatever the hell you want if you're a LeBron James. Unbelievable. So can you imagine what this would be like, too? I just remember the whole discussion we had for weeks when John Henry and the Fenway Sports Group bought the Pittsburgh Penguins last year. People are going nuts. Like, how could you not be focused on the Red Sox? Or how could you be focused on the Red Sox when you're buying the Pittsburgh Penguins? And I argued at the time, couldn't you argue this is good for the Red Sox because they're going to have even more money? Like, do you think that John Henry's not going to spend money on the Red Sox because he owns the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yes. You do? No, I think that's just the narrative that everybody has agreed to. Oh, oh, because I don't think he, I think he's, if anything, he's going to spend more money. Unless the league decides that the CBT is not going to go up ever. I, I mean, that's, that's certainly the case. We're in that right now. I mean, it's ugly. But I, I would also argue that they are very sensitive to what is being said. They're very sensitive about what the narrative is. So, Matt, if the narrative is, oh, they're not going to spend money because of the pirate situation or because of the penguin situation, well, I believe that John Henry and the Fenway Sports Group, that means they're going to spend money Yeah, to I've prove d- everybody wrong. I've changed my tune on, on the ownership situation a million times. I, I really hated it at the start. Don't really like that he would be kind of overseeing broadcasts of Bruins versus Penguins on his TV station, but also had a stake in the Red Sox on the same TV. Very strange. But he spent a lot on Liverpool since he got them, and they just won a cup. So, I mean, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and and look, just to be clear, this is just something that Bill Simmons said on his show the other day. It's not like anywhere close to being done. We don't even know if the NBA is going to expand. But I believe Stan Kroenke is the only owner right now in sports that owns – Two teams in two different markets. He owns the Nuggets and he owns the Rams. John Henry now has the Penguins and he has the Red Sox. If this did happen, he would be the first owner in the history of sports to own 
first of all, he don't, he's got Liverpool too, but he would own the Red Sox, the Penguins, and whatever the Las Vegas basketball team would be. Which would probably be a Western Conference team. Maybe he can beat the Lakers for us. There we go. I mean, maybe that's his grand plan. People will be mad. People will be happy that he takes out the Lakers. All right, thanks to Matt Durant for producing. I will be back with you tomorrow from 10 to 12. And then I'll be in on Friday from 6 to 10 in for much doing the midday show on Friday. Have a great rest of the night, everybody. Be safe and be well. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.